Welcome to Documentary First, an inside look at a first-time filmmaker's journey. I am your host, Josh Lindsay from the Movie Proposal Podcast. And with us is our first-time filmmaker, Christian Taylor. Hello there. How are you? I'm good, Christian. How are you? Good. Good. And with us, as always, because we couldn't do it without him, the awesome, trusty, dusty research guy, Jason Rugg. Hey there. And we have a special guest again, surprise, all the way from the Chicagoland area, which is not far from us, is Sandy Gordon. Hello, Sandy. Hello. Nice to see you. And if you remember, Sandy is the uh, Emmy award-winning filmmaker, producer, author, uh, filmmaker extraordinaire. And we're going to dive into her brain some more this podcast. But before we do, we need a film update. Christian, what is going on with the girl who wore freedom? Yeah, well, it's kind of been an exciting week. We started rolling out all the announcements for things that have been happening over the holidays. And uh, if you haven't been watching our social media, you may have missed that we won honorable mention at the uh, Mediterranean Film Festival Cannes, a film festival that did not happen, uh, but we did get an award. So that was exciting. It's our first international award. And then we were um, accepted into five other film festivals. I think I have mentioned uh, them here. The first one that's coming up is the Chandler uh, Film Festival in Arizona. That's next week, the 21st through the 24th. And then shortly after that, we're at the Flathead Lake International Cinema Fest in Polson, Montana. And Hunter and I are both going to be there. So we're super excited about that. And then while right when we get back from there on the first, the Scorpius Film Fest in um, Park City, Utah, right after Sundance ends. We have one day of streaming with that fest. And then we have the Beaufort one in South Carolina, which will be super fun. Hunter and I are driving to that. We'll be there for a week in uh, Beaufort, South Carolina, right on the, uh, the water. And then the last one that we know about is the Lake Michigan Film Fest. So that's super exciting. And then we found out we are a finalist in the Fiera Film Festival in Italy. Nobody knows about that. Not even anybody on my team. That's like hot off the presses. Uh, and it's a really big deal because it's a big film festival in Italy. And if we do get accepted, it will be our first international acceptance. And it's a film festival that right now is you know slated to happen. So so that's been good. And then we've just been getting back into the swing of things of uh, finalizing the sound mix in order to uh, prep the film for, you know, distribution that we have ahead of us, hopefully. And that involves Christian, Jason Hoban, and J Jeff Kurtnacker and Bill Ebel all trying to get together to finalize this mix. And I think it's been the most challenging part of the film because we can't all be in the studio together. We're having to do it separately in our own spaces and that's super hard to do. Um, I think that we're gonna have a big party uh, on our 100th episode, which is coming up. I'm gonna kind of tease that out. Uh, I think we're recording that on February 3rd and I'm gonna have all those guys back and we're gonna talk about uh, finishing the final mix and what all that means. So uh, yeah, we're gonna have a big celebration party at our 100th episode. You're all invited. All right. <laughs> so that's the update from me. It's never over, is it Christian? It never. Just, it never ends. Just it continues. Never ends. 
That's why you're thinking about making another film. That's the only <laughs> way to make this one stop is to start another one, right? Exactly. You know, I just, when I hear of producers like Dick Wolf, or I can list a hundred other ones, Shonda Rhimes right now, who have like, you know, 20 different things going on at once. My brain just melts down. Like how the heck do they do that? I have no idea. Sandy, maybe you can tell us. They have lots of helpers. Right. <laughs> they have a budget. That's true. And a budget. (laughs) (laughs) Money. So Sandy, welcome back. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. I've had, I have fun with you all. And like I said before, it it is hard to say no to Christian Taylor. (laughs) Well, and I just, I, you know, you teased us so much with your uh, quirky little unknown information from your work from the past. Uh, I really bugged her to come back and bring some uh, some show and tell. So if you're only listening to this, you might want to pop on over to YouTube when you're done so you can see what Sandy has brought to share. Uh, and she's going to share some fun facts with us. So Sandy, we had mentioned, why don't you tell some of the projects that you initially worked in when you got into this business? And then we'll go from there. Yeah. So, you know, early on in my career, you know, a long time ago, I I started in feature films. And so I was on the crew. I was a location scout and uh, it was a really fun time. I loved that stuff. Um, But my uh, my paraphernalia is limited because I was working like 18 to 20 hour days. And uh, but for first time filmmakers, my paraphernalia might be interesting because I have all my old notebooks of like Rudy and the Hudsucker Proxy and Mo Money and um, Baby, Baby Stay Out. Out. Um, and so I have like, you know, for the fans out there, I have my Hudsucker Proxy script, the original script that we used. Oh, wow. Um, so, then, so she's showing, just so you know, <laughs> she's, yes, she's showing us. Uh, so, so the way that um, the way that it works, well, it's changing now because we're in a very tech savvy information age, and everyone is so protective now of people stealing the scripts and and putting them out there to the public when you're trying to keep it under wraps, right? Especially if you're like DC or Marvel and you're trying to, you know, not show the new Batman script or a Disney film. So it's much harder to come by an actual printed copy these days. There's, you have to like sign away your life to see the script of the movie. And for some actors, they might just give you like the bit that you need to know. Um, You know, with my understanding, I haven't worked on a film recently, but my understanding is that like some of these have, you know, they're barcoded or they're serial numbered or something. And you have to like sign for your copy or you sign it out and you only get to read it and then bring it back. But in the old days, (laughs) you got the full script printed out. We chopped down several trees to make these movies. (laughs) So um, you would get a, a copy on white paper and then Anytime a change is made to a script that's been given out, you um, you have to put an asterisk on the line that was changed so people know that there's a word that changed there. And then you also change the color of the paper that is printed on. So this is my final Rudy script. And you'll see if you're able to see it on um, Zoom it's uh, or on YouTube, it's yellow. And then you'll notice that within the script, you'll see other colors like blue, and pink and the way that it works and it's industry wide again this may be changing now that things are online but when you're old school 
there's actually like a, a key that tells you all the colors of the paper and you would you would have to go in that order so you know that like it goes yellow and then blue and pink and once you get past there you get into like salmon and <laughs> you get into like the more interesting color names but when you do that you know how many changes have happened already to that page so um anyway so that's what makes my artifacts interesting but um you know nowadays those things have changed a little bit i thought you now, might enjoy it since you're fans yes and didn't you uh say that there uh there's another coordinating color thing that goes along yeah. so so the other thing that i can share with you it's also something that now is computerized and i have many of those on computer that i could share but since since you all responded to the the Rudy Baby's Day Out era, I I um I saved all of my call sheets and a producer producers are all the paperwork people, right? But everybody on a crew needs to see the call sheet. And the call sheet is basically your schedule of what's going to happen on a particular shoot day. Um, and so it depends on the size of your project. If you are working on something really short, like um, a 30 second commercial, your call sheet may be just as big as a feature film's first day. If you have lots of extras and lots of special gear, or you might just be like, or a, great, a better example might be Christian's film. If she's going to interview um, a veteran in their home, it might just be two camera people and a sound person and Christian. And so in that case, your call sheet could just be uh, like an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper. But um, when you're on a feature film, they tend to be longer. So I'm holding up a typical feature film slash um, weekly TV series call sheet where you have 100 crew people and it's double sided. Although this particular one is not usually they're double. Oh, it is it's double sided and it and it flips up because they hold they usually when you print it out, you have it on a, on a clipboard or something so you can like flip it over and see what you're trying to see. The front side of the call sheet when it's a big call sheet and you need two pages, um, it starts with the, the top of it is the information about like the contact person for, you know, for like me, the producer, um, cell phone number nowadays. And um, and then you'd have like the closest hospital, <laughs> like the things you need in an emergency where you don't have to have to search through the sheet to find it. You put at the top, you put the, the name, like the date of the shoot that this is referring to. And let's say you have a six day shoot, you would put day one of six, day two of six. So people are aware how far you are into the schedule with this. And then there's a section of um, the set. And it, this can vary on any call sheet, but the information is always the same. How it's laid out might be different, but you have a section of where the location is. So it's got the address, maybe it has the contact with the location and it has um, what scene you're shooting there, what page number it's on, um, if there's any special equipment being used at that set, um, this particular one, it has six scenes. It has a, a column for the cast and you would see that, that, that it's got numbers. It doesn't say uh, Sean Astin, it'll say one. So Sean being the star is one. John Favreau might be two. 
um, and, you know, and then like maybe um, a smaller character might be six. Like, so they all are numbered and those numbers are consistent throughout the whole show so that anytime you see those numbers, you know who needs to be there. And it also tells you if it's a day scene or a night scene, it might tell you um, if there's like any special location information, like you have to take a shuttle or something. And then as you get further down the sheet, it will tell you the call time. So the call sheet tells you the call time, which is what time do you have to be at work that day? So it'll list the separate time for every single solitary person, unless you just say everybody's call time. So a lot of times what people do is they'll put the general call time, like we expect 90% of the people, like the main call time is 9 a.m. and they'll put it at the top. Um, and then there are some people like when you say call times at nine, well, really the, the caterer is coming at six in the morning to set up their truck and get the food going. And the hair and makeup people are coming at six in the morning because the actors come in at 630. So you have to be ready. And then you're doing the hair and makeup and everyone's ready by the time the crew gets there at nine. So everybody has their different stages, but you kind of know like the general call time, what time that is. And then, then you got weather. Like, sorry. Weather is also oh, yeah, on the there. weather's on there. What they expect the weather to be. There might even be a contingency plan in case a storm is coming. So it's really literally anything you need to know is there special equipment that's needed for a specific scene. Maps. Um, and then and props, special props. And then on the back page, if you have a big crew, um, you know, for Rudy, obviously here you've got, or this one was Baby's Day Out. It's a lot of crew people and it's showing their individual call time so that you, you know, if they, if they have a different time, what time they're coming. And then old school, we used to hand draw the maps. So I'll show you, um, this is Baby's Day Out. And it's a map um, in Chicago, probably going to Lincoln Park Zoo or something. And then somebody had to handwrite the actual directions, which is this is not my handwriting because oh, I wow. couldn't do that. It's I'm a terrible, I'm terrible with print. But um, thank God now you have computers for that. But uh, this is one I'm holding up now from Rudy. I know you guys are Rudy fans, but you can see I've got like a circle I drew for Notre Dame Stadium. <laughs> and then I have a line <laughs> taking you like from St. Mary's to the stadium or I think it was extras holding was down the down the street. Um, and then, you know, it's like how to get to where you need to go. And then at the very bottom, I had to like give them physical directions of how to get there. <laughs> so that map, <laughs> I have been in. Yeah, that mat would have been given out to the extras. And this was a fun fact about the extra scene in Rudy, where if you've watched Rudy, you know, a lot of it and all, especially all the end scenes take place on this, you know, Notre Dame's field. And it looks like the stadium is filled with people. So tell us how you guys did that, Sandy. Oh, well, actually, um, that's kind of fun. So, you know, sometimes we had an actual filled stadium and they were real football games and um, <laughs> so many stories. So the thing about it was this was in the early nineties and the film takes place in the seventies. So anytime that you saw someone on screen, they had to be dressed in seventies clothing with seventies hairstyles. 
And if you, it's kind of like if today and it's 2021, if you were to film a movie outside my building, but really everyone had to be in 80s clothes, you'd have to be asking like teenagers in 2021 to go like really frizz their hair out and um, permit and maybe they'd have to wear like neon clothes, which I guess is sort of making the comeback now anyway, but Back then, asking a college student to wear 70s styles was like torture. They just were not interested. <laughs> and, you know, they don't know what this movie is going to turn into, right? They just hear that there's somebody needing you to look a certain way. But we had a deal with Notre Dame and their cheerleaders <laughs> were our cheerleaders. So we had hair and makeup for them and they had to go through the whole rigmarole to look 70s as did any extra in the movie and um they were not happy about that but they're happy now because <laughs> they're all over the movie but um back then what we would do is we shot scenes with people walking into the stadium that if we did a close-up we planted them they were extras and we shot that separately but when you show the actual crowd in the stadium if you see a whole wide shot that is legitimately a game that Notre Dame was playing. And it was just blurry enough that you didn't see all the clothes that didn't really match. And then we came back in on a non football day to do the close ups. And what we would do is we had extras in one section that all had the right style period of clothing on. We would shoot them going like Rudy, Rudy. And then we would have them get up and move to another section and move into different places and we would do that again. So we just kind of like use different extras and move them around and have them be in the background because you're really focused on the close up of, of the football players and you just see people in the background. But what we would, well, like the really the way we shot most of the football scenes were um, that the real game, when the real game would go to a timeout or, or there'd be a break, like the second they left the field, we'd run our actors onto the field. And we had told everyone in the stadium in advance that we're filming a movie. So please like follow the, the cheers from the cheerleaders. And at some point we might ask you to yell like Rudy, you know, they're like, okay, why? <laughs> but, um, but we, we had basically, we would, we would flip the scoreboard like at the point of the break, we had someone from the art department poised to change this to change like the actual board looked 70s for that day and I was in the score room like the the spot with the press box and I would tell the guy what to change the score to so we would change the score and the name of the teams and then we'd have like 60 seconds to shoot the shot and then be like okay get out get them off the field and they'd rush off the field and then the real team would come back on so that's how we <laughs> that's how we shot those scenes it was really fun for me because i was just up in the score the score room the whole time yeah you know and it's so interesting because now you know with uh, so many different ways to replicate people in the stands right. my guess is they're not doing those anymore but it's so fascinating to hear like how it you know, started back then and right. how you handled things back then. Same with the, with the call sheet. I mean, we didn't get to the call sheet color. You told me coordinated with the script change color. So, well, it didn't, it doesn't coordinate it in that. Like if you change a page of the script, you wouldn't then change the color of the call sheet, but if the call sheet changes after it went out. So like nine o'clock at night, last night, I send out tomorrow's call sheet, today's call sheet, tomorrow's call, call sheet. And then 
at 10 o'clock, it changed, but all these people have it already. You'd change it to blue so that when you send it again, it's like, this is the right, the right one to look at. I see. I see. Yeah. That's the same concept with the script. Like look at the one with the color. Don't. So, right. My question too, is I know now they have all of these fancy dancy script writing programs and, um, you know, uh, project project management programs that help you make call sheets and things right. like that mm -hmm. so you, um and so it's really done differently now yeah well you know it, it is and it isn't because the people who created that software created it out of the need to computerize now that there were ways to do that what they had already been using right so You'll see, I haven't used it recently, but uh, the last time I did, there's movie maker software, there's um, showbiz scheduling. And so these are made for filmmakers and they still will reference the colors. Like if you're making, if you're switching a, um, your script and now it's blue, I believe they still do that in the, in the script software. And with scheduling, um, if, I'll see if I can flip through. There's, um, I don't have one with me, but with scheduling, there's so many different ways you schedule. But when you schedule a big shoot, you have your day out of days schedule. So it's like day one out of six. And so similar to the call sheet, but it's literally just a schedule that has line by line every scene you're shooting today, then a big black bar for your lunch break, then every scene you're shooting in the afternoon. And it correlates with, tells you what, uh, where the location is, how many pages you're shooting that day and the numbers of the actors that are in it. And when you, when you do, when you used to do that old school, it was with literally strips of cardboard that somebody cut out and you'd move this scene up here and that scene down here, almost like you're using a whiteboard, but you're using like, it's like a puzzle or you're, you're moving the paper around. Now, when you use that software, it's still made like strips. You drag the strip to another place. So it actually looks just like it did when you were hand doing it. It's just that people who are younger and just starting in the industry don't know that history of how it came to be. Yeah, and it's fascinating. You either learned this in school, because Sandy uh, taught at Columbia uh, College in Chicago, and then she's now at DePaul. You either learned that in a film program or I learned it on a set, you know, on several sets as I was working as an actor and then as a producer. So um, there is industry standard stuff out there. And like Sandy mentioned, there are programs that people are learning. And um, it is it is definitely the same. Just, you know, now it's technology and people do print it off or it's on your phone. Um, you know, they'll send it electronically. It's just different. Yeah. And so I would say, you know, kind of driving it back to something like the girl who wore freedom, if you're talking about your first time filmmaking experience and you're going to go out and make a documentary. You still have a call sheet. You still need to let your crew know what time their call time is. And you're still keeping track of every prop and piece of equipment that needs to be there and where, where it is and where the nearest hospital is in case something goes wrong and all that. And the weather and the weather. You know, when, yep. when you're a location, when you're a locations manager and you're in charge of these things on any kind of shoot, you're always checking the weather. And like we used to, I'm, I don't know how it's happening right now, but I mean, I used to have the phone number to the local branch of the National Weather Service 
And we had like a contact that we could call at two in the afternoon. He'd be like, oh yeah, the rain should start hitting at 2.15. You have 14 minutes, you know? So like we would just be on it if we knew a storm was rolling in so that we could maximize our time before we had to move. Um, you know, you hopefully, if you know a storm is, con you know, it's going to rain on Wednesday, you'll plan not to shoot outside on Wednesday. But sometimes things come out of the blue and you're like, oh, the sky just changed. So you kind of have a person you can call up say, um, should we be worried about this right now? I know there are apps for that now, like darksky.net can tell you down to the second when it's supposed to rain, but you know, it's yeah. still nature. <laughs> it's <laughs> fascinating. So we had planned to talk about pitching and how you pitch your project. And we, uh, we thought, I thought this might happen, that it would be interesting and we, you know, would have questions and we might not get to the pitching. So we are going to have Sandy back because the last thing is she has one fun fact and a quiz question for Jason Rugg. And we're going to do that. We only have about four minutes left. So Jason, you're going to have to think fast. So, yeah. so yeah, let's hear that quiz question, Sandy. I should just say, but do you know? Do you know who AC Cowlings is? No. <laughs> Josh, do you? No. <laughs> so Josh is about 10 years younger than I am. Yeah. Uh, so this really dates both of us. Yeah. Well, so AC Cowlings was the driver of OJ Simpson's Bronco during the famous oh. chase. Oh, wait, he knows who OJ Simpson is. That's good. Oh, you know who OJ Simpson I, is, I, and you know there was a chase. I've heard AC. I've heard OJ and AC, but I'd never made the connection of, okay, yeah. So the reason that we wait, brought it up. Wait, wait, oh, wait. I have one other question. Okay. What do uh, what did OJ and AC, what what did they do? What did they have uh, well, so there, there was there was the mild murder, uh, and then <laughs> and then there was the mild murder. <laughs> yeah, you know, well, you know, you, they didn't convict him. So. Depends on who you and, ask. <laughs> yeah, and then and there was stealing all the trophies. That's what I know. <laughs> what, what did they What did they do before that? What are they uh, famous oh, for? Oh, football players. Football players, right? Okay, that's the tie-in. So. Oh, no. <laughs> so um, I met AC Cowlings because he worked on Rudy. Oh, he wow. was the football coordinator for all of the football players on Rudy. So wow. what, what's, what's he doing now these days? I, I'm not sure. He, you, know, you, you don't keep in touch with him? He was in jail for a while. <laughs> I will tell you that if you go to IMDB, you will see um, AC Callings there. Uh, he does have a credit for Rudy. And um, he, he, of course, is in Wikipedia. And, you know, as of... Um, 2018, he says, um, let's see, in 2016, according to TMZ, he had threatened to sue FX if he was portrayed negatively in the series The People of uh, versus O.J. Simpson. Oh, so he's and, dealing with that fallout from that. Yeah, he wow. is. That's too bad. So anyway, uh, it sounds like uh, they are still close friends, and they both struggle with chronic traumatic encephalopathy or CTE, which oh, is the, yeah. yeah. So anyway, that's just an interesting little tidbit. Uh, AC Callings, uh, in Rudy, you have people like Vince Vaughn, who were actor football players, actor extras, and Sean Astin, who played football. But they were doing that with actual real football players. And so yeah. AC Callings, you know, she can't remember if they 
if he brought the football players in, uh, but he certainly coordinated for them. And yeah. I thought that was fascinating. Josh, did you have your <laughs> question? Oh, I was just curious if uh, OJ had threatened to sue, if he was portrayed in a negative light. In that <laughs> sure, show. he's doing that when he can. <laughs> <laughs> I will say that um, when I was living in LA, that trial was happening. And um, sometime in the in-between when he wasn't in jail, but he had no money. I met some friends to go hiking and they were laughing when they got to the, to the park, because I guess he had parked his car at the bottom of the trail area and he had just pulled up and opened his trunk and was just signing golf balls for anybody <laughs> that wanted to pay him a few bucks. Um, <laughs> it was it's desperate times. Uh, wow. <laughs> so fascinating. Well, Sandy, thank you so much. I really appreciate the fun facts and the teaching us a little bit about call sheets and scripts and locations and interesting stuff. Yeah, it's fun. Once again, I feel like we didn't accomplish our mission, but we'll try. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have it's you okay. back. That's... Absolutely. All right. Well, hey, thank you, Sandy. And thank you listeners for listening to Documentary First where we believe everyone has a story to tell and you can be the one to tell it. Yes, you can. Bye, everybody. Thank you for listening to Documentary First. We really appreciate your partnership with us. We can't do any of this without you. So thank you so much for listening, for donating, and for following along on our journey. If you are able to make a donation this week, we would really appreciate it. We are supported by donors who give us $100 or less, so anything helps. Also, if you're able to share the news about the girl who wore freedom with your friends and family, please do that on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, or email. And sign up for our newsletter at thegirlwhowarefreedom.com. Please go to thegirlwhowarefreedom.com slash donate to make a donation today.